Uh, this is the uh, Board of County Commission's work session for November 27th, Tuesday, 2012. It's uh, 1 o'clock, and the first item of business we have is an interview for our Healthy Rivers and Streams Board. Uh, Jenny, is it McCarthy? MacArthur. MacArthur. MacArthur, yes. MacArthur. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Um, uh, what we do in these scenarios is uh, just ask a few questions and uh, I allow the other board members to sort of talk about, um, to ask questions of you, and then we go forward from there. So, uh, board, um, do you have questions for Jenny? Yes, Jack. Yeah, thank you very much for applying for the Healthy Rivers and Streams Board. Um, I guess my first question is, how does your previous uh, volunteer work trans, you know, with kids and uh, raise your early learning center, etc. How does that translate to the Healthy Rivers and Streams Board position? I think my experience on the board allows me to recognize how um, different entities need to work together to achieve a goal and how to communicate with various um, interest groups within the community and uh, key players, uh, people that are funding the organization, and to ensure that all areas, uh, all needs are met by those parties or for those parties. Yeah, and that's great for boardmanship, you know, et cetera. Um, how about, um, do you have any background, meaning interest in having done reading and seminars and whatever in environmental issues? I haven't done as much environmental issues. My interest in the rivers is from a recreational standpoint. You know, I recently ran the Grand Canyon on the Stand Up Paddleboard um, from Lee's Ferry down to Phantom Ranch and hiked out. You know, my husband and I are passionate about the, the riverways and, um, you know, haven't done as much reading about the environmental aspects. Um, I am active with the Environmental Foundation with the Aspen Skiing Company and recently did a, um, a seminar on the Thompson Divide piece, but that's not directly related to what your position is about. You, you participated in a seminar or you led a seminar? I participated in. Okay. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Board? Rob? <coughs> thank you, um, Jenny, for applying. Stand up paddle for a hundred miles down the uh, the Grand Canyon. I think one of the the big things that we do on uh, on our fighting for uh, keeping water in the streams and that sort of stuff is our recreational battle for that. Um, so I have two questions for you. First, you seem to do a good deal of kayaking and stand up paddling. Where are the best places within Picking County to do that? Is the first question. The second question is, do you have any idea how we could potentially in the future use the recreational value of the water to fight against the other economic values elsewhere. So the first question is, where do where I the, Where are the best places to kayak? It's kind of a fun question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the stand-up paddle within our, within our valley. You know, if, if you're a class five paddler, then my husband like laps um, slaughterhouse falls <laughs> on his stand-up paddleboard. On his stand-up paddleboard. However, I'm not of that same caliber. <laughs> you know, I'm much more comfortable on toothache 
and cemetery and, you know, we've literally run the whole section, but I hike around the falls. And, you know, as far as, you know, to me, stand-up paddling and kayaking go hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, can you repeat the second question? So the second question is, you know, one of the battles that, that the way we fight the battles is through um, valuing the water. So the water has an economic value, say, in Denver, um, you know, feeding either agriculture or, or some sort of economic value. It also has an economic value here, which is the recreational economic value, and that's one of the big arguments that we're trying to make. So my question is kind of how aware are you of what the economic recreational value of keeping the water in the rivers is for our tourists, for the, the community that uses that here, the community that comes here to kayak, and, uh, and how, how do you think we could use that to fight that battle? Well, I know that um, you're probably aware of the, the White Water Festival that's held each May, late May, early June, down at the Glenwood Park. Mm -hmm. And my husband and uh, Paul Teft have been in, instrumental in putting that piece together to draw attention and to um, get people more a, involved from a standpoint of watching but also to, to get more people in and around the area excited about participating. And ultimately, you know, if the basalt park goes in, we'd like to pull something in up in the basalt area, um, which would also create you know, more interest and more opportunity for people to participate, watch, get excited, and that in itself drives more attention to the resource of the water. That's one of the big arguments we're making. Absolutely. Thank you. George, you have any questions? Yeah, one of the interesting things actually is that you're the first, would be the first new person on this board since we've actually established it about three, four years ago. And um, so uh, I think that's great that you're applying. It may, and my, my question is um, it may be a little challenging to get up to speed because the last three years the current board has gone through. Quite a learning curve in terms of getting up to speed on water issues and legal issues and all sorts of things like that. So my question is, how do you have the time to spend to really try to get up to speed and, and be able to be a, a contributing uh, board member on a board that's you know the current members have been in place for a few years and have had to go through that learning curve, but they've gone through it uh, together. Well, I think, I mean, that's a, an excellent question, George, and I think that the, the reality is, is that every team member brings a unique set of qualities to a, a board. And as a newcomer, you know, initially, my job would be to, A, um, try to come up to speed with some of the background pieces, recognising that there's going to be a lot of people in the room that have a lot more experience with the actual board issues than I do. And they're also going to be my teachers throughout the, you know, the learning period. Um, certainly, I'm expecting that there's going to be some reading material, and you know, maybe that's a great opportunity for me to take a couple of people out to lunch to hear what their, you know, their perspective is, and how best, you know, I can bring my skill set to serve the board. Thank you, uh, Jenny. Tell me about the logistics of a stand-up paddleboard down there. Colorado. Were you by yourself? Were you in a group? I was, uh, we had a 16 person permit and we were supported by seven rafts 
and there were two kayakers and two stand-up paddleboarders on that. And did you ever fall off your paddle? <laughs> Katy Perry sings a song these days that goes, yeah, she's up and she's down, she's on and she's up. That was me. <laughs> but so, what, um, so, so how long would you stand up on your board? I mean, would you spend four hours a day? The whole day. The whole day. All day. Eight hours a day. Yeah. Ten hours. Yeah. And then, and then the rafts would, would they go down before you and sort of... Okay, I'm going to show you something then. So, <laughs> you paddle alongside when it's really flat and then you put your butt on the side of the raft and ask for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but, had, does, is that a normal activity on the Colorado River, uh, stand-up paddleboards now? It's definitely becoming more um, common. We... You know, many of the commercial guides that were on the trip were very excited to watch us run all the rapids. And, and you ran every rapid? I ran every rapid. I have a leash uh, on a releasable safety rescue PFD so that, um, you know, if I was to become entangled on a rock, the board would go one side and I'd come on the other. We'd get flushed through. But for the most part, um, you know, you take it and you think that you're going to make it and you're kind of coming up one of the big waves and all of a sudden a lateral lift get you and you'd be off. And then you climb back on, stand back up and go again. And was the board a special river running board? What? Yes, it's a board designed by C4 Waterman and it's um, actually one of the boards that my husband worked with them. They're a company out of Hawaii. And so is it a longer board? What, what it's actually, it's wider. wider. It's a little wider for more stability. I think the boards we were running were board I was on was nine, um, nine foot ten and um, shaped to kind of pierce through waves and not just get pushed right back. But then it had a little swallow tail in the end so that if I step back on it, I can pivot it and change direction very quickly. A swallow tail in the end, you mean? Kind of comes yeah. in, so it's kind of like a teardrop shape uh -huh. and then a little bit more. Uh -huh. it's, wow, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Did you enjoy it? Or was that it was amazing. And I have to say, probably one of the biggest moments. The two times I've been down the Grand in my kayak, I had, the first time I went down the Grand, I'd kayaked for two months, and I was definitely gripped in and over my head. And the second time I went down, I had somewhat more composure. And this time I remember falling off right before a man-eating hole that would hold me, and fell off, had my paddle still in my hand, looked and I think, oh, I don't want to do that. I just had the composure to kind of back paddle twice and literally I skirted the edge of the wave within inches, so the whole. So, you know, just to me that having that composure was like, oh yes, was a big, a big shift. Would you do it again? Oh, I wanted to do the whole thing. And I still want to do the whole thing. And lava would probably eat me, but that's okay. Excuse me, gentlemen, gentlemen, we can't hear if you're talking back there. I'm sorry. Jack? Yeah, thank you. Um, looks like you've been a resident of the Valley for 17 years, so certainly you're aware of the environmental values we have hold dear to our hearts in this Valley. Um, there are times when uh, the environment and recreation conflict. Would you address a question to, you know, uh, so you're aware that that can happen, what would your approach be? How to protect the environment? That's the number one issue. And obviously we all are involved in recreation 
very seriously around here. So how would you balance that? If I had to choose between environment and recreation and prioritize, environment comes first. Because without the environment that we live in, um, you know, if we disrupt our environment too much, then all of the other factions start to fall, fall away. So we really need to be supporting, um, you know, taking care of our environment and ensuring that, you know, there's the sustainability aspect of, you know, what we do here in the valley. Yeah, sustainability is the key. Thank you. Board, any further questions? Uh, I guess not. Jenny, thank you so much for being here. And um, typically we make our decision at some future point, I, I, and then we write you a letter one way or the other. So, so um, I can't actually be any more specific than that. Perfect. But check in with John Ely, and, um, and he'll keep you in touch. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much. Appreciate, appreciate your time. business is abatements and um, I'm not sure we're ready for that right now. Larry, is Larry here? Oh, Steve. I saw Steve Miller out there. I think it's him and Wendy. Here you go. These are, we, we decided not to. Uh, uh, just a second. Well, I'm trying to get the order straight here. And, and we'll, yeah. So, um, let me see here. So the first item we have is Christopher, how do you pronounce your name, Christopher? Thank you for asking. G.U. Frida. G.U. Frida. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, and Steve, are you going to represent the yes. assessor's yes, office? Yes, What we typically do you can take a seat, please. We, we need to have a special meeting. Oh, we need to have a special meeting. Still open? I didn't know you had one earlier today for executive. Is that closed? Uh, we so adjourn that. Okay, then you need to open this as a special meeting. So is there a um, move to open a special meeting for relatives to the abatement hearings? As the Board of Adjustments, is that what? No, you're just going to be the Board of Commissioners. Board of Commissioners. So is there a second? Second. Any uh, further discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 So uh, just let me explain what we, our, our typical procedures, uh, Christopher, is that the assessor uh, presents the case to us, and then you have a chance to make your case, and then there'll probably be some questions, either of the assessor or of you, and then we go forward from there. Thank you. Okay. So Steve, do you want to outline this for us? Um, Mr. Giafrida's property is a vacant lot on Sheila Mesa of Snowmass Creek. And uh, we had it valued, this is an, an abatement for the year 2011, which he did not appeal. Uh, in 2012, he appealed our value of $360,000 to the CBOE and was granted a reduction to 260. Uh, so our, 
our position is to, since we do these valuations in two-year cycles, is to return the 2011 value to what the Board of Equalization re represented, rec recommended for 2012. And that's 260? Correct. And Mr. G. Fried is asking for something different? Evidently, yes, sir. So you're not aware of what he's asking for? He, he originally was asking for, I think, 75000 and then he changed it to 95000 So I'm assuming one of those two numbers is what he is requesting. And, and $100,000. So, um, so that's, that's the case as far as the assessors? Is you're comfortable, you're recommending that the valuation of $260,000 for the previous year, Correct. 2011. Based on the CBOE decision of 2012. Okay. Christopher, go ahead, please. Again, thank you, everyone, uh, yes. for your time. Jack, I apologize. Um, do we not get to ask the assessor's representative a question at this the point? The assessor, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Excuse I'm me. sorry, I'm sure, representative. Yeah, um, Steve, you did some comparables? I did. Would you please uh, explain to me um, what your comparables represent? Uh, well, there was a for the record as well as a little understanding, of course. Okay, there was certainly a lack of sales in this time period between uh, July 1st, 08, and June 30th, 2010. <clears throat> so the main comparable that we hung our hat on was a two-acre vacant lot sale on Shula Terraces uh, for $500,000. And when you adjust for the size and the location and the fact that it had a well and better access, the, the reconciled value was three forty-five. dollars that was the main comparison. Then the, the next vacant lot sale was in Gateway, which is probably not that comparable, but is what we had to use. And it sold in, it was in one acre lot also, an inferior lot, but it had well and better access, and it, it adjusted 365. Actually, two acres. Gateway lot was one. What's that? Gateway lot was one. Oh, gateway, gateway. Yeah. Excuse me. And then <clears throat> the only uh, the, the next nearby best sale was on Mesa Road on Shield Oak Mesa, which was a, uh, a more recent to the assessment date uh, in April of 2010. But by the time you adjust out the improvements and everything else, you have we have a large adjustment, so it's not really comparable. The extraction just doesn't work that well. So we had a range of 365 to 345, giving us a value of 360. The Board of Equalization felt like, uh, the hearing officer felt like there should be more reduction for the fact that it's a more rural site, access is, is sort of limited, and the cost of uh, running the power to the lot. He felt that was worth 100000 so he knocked 100000 off of it. Does that answer your question, Jack? Yeah, it's uh, certainly a, a good 
good start. But one question, how do you equate dollar value to ease of access? How, how does the assessor de to make a determination, well, this access is better and it's worth, therefore, X amount of dollars in the adjustment side? It's, that's, that adjustment is an estimation of what it would cost to improve that access. X so dollars so. per half mile or mile or whatever. And that's... Uh, okay, and one last question. 1041s, I notice uh, this did not have a 1041, is that correct? I think he had one and it expired. And then the other comparable, you know, the, the two comparables, there's a minus 50,000 on the first comparable that you talked about, and then there's a zero on the other. Would you explain what that means as far as 1041? Because I'm only looking at two comparables, because the others were such large, uh, much more larger lots. Excuse me while I get to that. Um, what I'm assuming, and maybe... Okay. You, um, go ahead. The... Excuse me. The first comparable has a has a land use permit, so that's where. The, and from talking with other appraisers, the, the process costs you about fifty grand. By the time hire a land use planner, pay the various permits, cost they they value about fifty grand. Okay, so that's why there's a minus Correct. because they. They have one. saved the money, and then the zero would represent they need to still do it, so it's a neutral Correct. position. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. George, did you have a question? No, I'm fine right now. Rob? Okay, Christopher, go ahead. Again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Um, you know, my I was happy that the Board of Equalization gave me a $100,000 nod. I actually got a quote from Holy Cross Energy to bring in a power line from the nearest source to my lot. It was $147,500. I, I brought up the details in the last hearing. I Forgive me for not having them present with me. Um, again, the Board of Equalization took that into consideration subjectively and gave me 100000 out of the 150 that it would actually cost me, uh, again, according to Holy Cross Energy. I felt that in and of itself alone, you know, the subjectivity was kind of eating at me, you know, the subjectivity of the assessor, we'll call it that for lack of a better word. So I'm, in, I'm, I'm of, the, of the thinking that, you know, if, 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 if value is, 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 is so subjective here, you know, what's what about that other fifty thousand? Can I? Can I, I? I think my lot is worth 
less, a lot less than these other comparable properties. Um, state, you know, using again the, the, the primary comparable, this two acre raw sale for $500,000. Um, the assessor's office came up with, okay, well, well Chris, we'll give you a 20%, something like that, adjustment in value, and your lot is worth 360. You know, I, you know, is, I would like to think that, okay, that's a two acre parcel for 500,000. Is my lot worth half of that? I have an acre. Maybe it's not worth quite half. Again, that's subjectivity I'm having with the assessor's office I'm having a problem with. And again, then on top of that, you add in the improvements, okay? The access, I don't have paved access. I have a two track. I don't have utilities to the lot line, hence the $150,000 Holy Cross bill. I don't have a well, um, so on and so forth. Paved access is, a, is another factor that really hasn't come into the valuation of my lot. It's worth less than these comps because of the Holy Cross energy, you know, utility costs. Because of a, you know, if I were to try to pay back, have paved access, it's probably another fifty, hundred thousand dollars. So again, these factors must be taken into consideration by you guys. And therefore, I feel like my property should be valued at a lower amount. Uh, to, you know, I'm, I'm asserting $100,000. Know, was it $75,000? Was it 95000 It's an arbitrary figure, but you know, I'm looking at a lot of comps, and if, if, if we add in improvements, you know, it's almost pointing that my lot has no value. Recently, and I, you know, I, I'm just looking at two sales in Shieldo Mesa, Shieldo Terrace, and we see a, um, and again, I know these are recent, these took place in 2011, but I kind of wanted to bring it to the board's attention because, you know, we have a four acre parcel with a 1,500 square foot home, septic, well, it just sold for $217,000 in 2011. The market, the valuation, the bottom of the market was 2009-2010 during this subject period. Um, so therefore, the value should be less than what properties are selling for recently. Um, again, if I see a 1,500 square foot improved property, four acres, my neighbor selling for 217000 my lot, is, it's worth less than that, and it can't be some subjective thing. I mean, I'm happy to share these with you. Steve's looking at them right now. There was also a, a vacant parcel sold, 5.3 acres. Uh, same time period, 2012, it just sold for 250000 my neighbor. So how can a five and a half acre parcel selling for 250000 a few months ago that's got to lend credence to my argument. My lot simply isn't worth as much as the assessor's office is saying. And the bottom line is I, I want to I pay less in taxes. You know, I'm under financial hardship. I'm not a developer. I'm not a, uh, a wealthy individual. I'm just trying to make it on my own. And uh, I, I just, I'm here today taking your time. Because I, I just maybe want a little bit more of a fair shake. I think Steve has done an outstanding job here, but 
I, I think some things have been overlooked, and I think my, the value of my parcel, unfortunately, is worth less than $260,000. Again, I'm asserting $100,000 just to put a round number on it. Is that the end of your presentation? Um, I think so, Mr. Owsley. Okay. Um, it is. Are there questions for Chris? Well, I have a question just not for Chris per se, oh. but for Steve just okay. to respond to some of the, uh, the comps that, that Chris used and some of those examples. And, and I don't know if that, that first example that Chris used in terms of that house uh, that sold, that was a distressed sale, if there's any, any mitigating circumstances that we know about. It was the 2011 sale, so it's not one that we consider, we would consider in this time frame we're considering is July 1st, 08 through June 30th, 2010. And I would debate whether 2009 was the bottom of the market. I mean, these sales show that values are still going down up there in that particular neighborhood. Now, do, we, do we have those documents? No, these are, these are sales that occurred after the time period we're considering. They would would be you consider, like to, well, they will be considered in this 2013 revaluation. Any further questions for Steve or Chris? Yeah, just to clarify. So, yeah, so, so because these sales occurred outside of the time frame, just like uh, many of the re requests that come up for us, we can't really use them. Not but, this time, no. But next go-around, then they may become much more relevant for right. you. But you just have to go on from that time period or, or close to it, but you can't go beyond that time frame. Correct. And I, I would like to make a couple other points. One is that in, in his area, the value on these, first of all, what we're doing is valuing what you can do on one acre, can you do the same on two acres? Um, you know, you would think, and there probably is a little more value in having a bigger lot, but in this county, you probably still can only build a maximum of 5750, whether it's one acre or two acres. So we're, we're going on site value, not necessarily acreage. Second of all, in his neighborhood, those lots were valued at 450,000. And he was given a nod because of prior appeals. He was given a 20% adjustment on that lot pending forever, pending it, it, if it changed, then we take that off. So the 360 represents 20% less than everybody else in the neighborhood. And then <clears throat> Steve Hawk, the hearing officer at CBOE, acknowledged the cost of bringing the power there and said very likely that other lots around there would eventually share in the cost of, of bringing that electricity because then they could jump off him. So that's why he didn't reduce it by 150,000, but rather 100,000. And if you look at this first comparable, we have taken into account the fact that it has land use, that it has a well already, and it has better access by reducing the sale price, including even taking into account the size of it. 
So there's $200,000 worth of reductions off of the $500,000 sale price. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't know that I necessarily agreed with Mr. Hawk, but he, he made the decision and we're sticking by that. And that's what we're recommending for 2011 value. Okay, any further questions, George? Bob? On that same comparable, Steve, there's no real um, time adjustment from December 09 to June 2010. It seems right. to me like the market was still in free fall during that time period. Why was there no time adjustment done during that time period? I think there was none because we didn't have enough vacant land sales. Okay. to figure a vacant land sale trend. Um, so that's that's why I don't see one. It's not to say that perhaps it didn't go down. There just wasn't enough, there weren't enough statistics to figure one out. And my second question is um, regarding some of the comparables that were brought up by the applicant um, and trying to figure out where the bottom of the market is. It's my understanding that the assessor's office or the, um, through our budget process has told us that we're gonna see a lower valuation of property values in Picking County in this next go around than we have in the last go around. So we're still in a declining state. In some neighborhoods, especially down there, I would say it's true. Any further questions? Yes, Jack? Yes, Steve. Um, why don't you help explain the land use code, the land value code, I apologize. Um, the subject property is SOMN1-5 and a comparable is SOT1-10. I understand gateway. I mean, that's I understand what that one's saying. What do the other two say? Um, I mean, I know it's The subject is Shield O, is Shield o Mesa, uh, one to five acres. And the uh, first comp is Shield O Terrace, one to ten acres. So that's, that's what those... So the one mean. five and the one five, excuse me, the one five and the one ten denote actual... Um, Parts of Shield Oak, yeah, Mesa, Terrace, Terrace etc. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Similar, lots of would be similar. And about um, on the well, is of course uh, on one comparables one and two. There's a deduction of thirty thousand dollars. Each of those have wells, and that's the going rate for a well. At that time. Approximately, yes. Yeah, I mean, during yes. this time period. Mm -hmm. Any further questions, board? Chris, would you like to respond at all? Um, I, uh, I, I just wanted to, to make one comment regarding the valuation of the parcel. I agree with Steve that, yes, whether it's a one-acre parcel or, in general, a 35-acre parcel, you're only allowed to build 5750. I, I agree with that. However, the value of a 35-acre parcel, the value of a 5-acre parcel versus a 1-acre parcel 
is greater. There's no question, and I don't think in anyone's mind in here. I would rather have a five-acre parcel than a one-acre parcel if I could buy it for the same money. Okay, so that's the reality. So, again, a little subjectivity that I'm arguing against should be taken into consideration. Um, one of the sales that took place during this time period was a parcel, was a, a three-and-a-half-acre parcel in Shieldo Terrace. It sold for $85,000. Um, yes, it was landlocked. It was bought by a motivated buyer. It was bought by the neighboring parcel. He spent a little money on it. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at that sale that, okay, that's a three and a half acre parcel sold for $85,000 during this time period. It should lend a, li a little something to my argument. Uh, but again, we're back to the main comparable, this two acre parcel that sold for $500,000. Again, by the same, uh, you know, this gentleman who bought this was motivated. He was motivated to buy this parcel and spend, in my opinion, a little too much money on it because, again, he was preserving his view plane. He was preserving his buffer between neighbors. So he had a little motivation to spend a little bit more money. Um, my point being, you know, it was a two-acre parcel. Guys, my, my, my parcel is worth less than $260,000. Okay, thank you. Sir. Thank you. On board, is there a motion? Are you considering a motion? Yes, Pat? Yeah, I, I can't consider a motion because I, I don't know where I would land. Yet, but obviously um, the assessor and the comparables that we have, you, know, you can do a mathematical uh, kind of equation to end up where the assessor is. I think Chris makes some good arguments, but I have no idea how to place a value on those arguments. You know, how do we reduce a little bit here? For example, the cost of power got almost 150 versus the 100,000. Um, I understand both sides, but what are the facts? If someone brought electricity, I assume up the road, you know, to access these, is it clearly shared? Is, is that the policy of Holy Cross in every case? I have to pay for it, and so those owners and have to come to reimburse me. you. Well, you know, I've been trying. You know, I bought this property in 2006. I, I, I was kind of naive and foolish to think that these neighbors would be willing participants <laughs> uh, to share in the cost of a road. Oh, you know, um, utilities. Um, I've gotten a very stiff shoulder. No one, you know, the majority of people didn't even get back to me about my willingness to improve the property, improve our vicinity, they weren't willing to participate. They weren't willing to share in the costs of putting a paved access and putting a utilities in. Um, and the dam, if I will give them power or allow them use of the road until, until compensation were to happen. So I mean, right now I'm looking at fronting that entire bill with certainly no 
no guarantee whatsoever of anyone participating and helping me. Could I block the road and force people to pay me? Probably over time, maybe if those older owners, if these existing owners sell, new blood comes in. I'm sure I could probably get compensation in the future, but there's certainly absolutely no guarantee of that. And I've got to front the bill in the meantime. I can't afford it now, so nothing's happening. May I, Michael? So what I don't have, I don't remember seeing a plat, as it were, where this lot was and others are. Are you referring to lots that would be above your location? Correct. I have to... Contiguous above? Contiguous maybe around me, not above me. I'm kind of in the middle of about five parcels. I'm kind of eight-tenths of a mile to my lot via the access rural mountain way. And that's how Holy Cross Energy came up with their $147,000 cost. So, yeah, these neighbors are more or less around me, not above me or below me, but surrounding me is the best way to describe it. And, yeah, they would certainly be prime candidates to tap in, but... Right, I'm sure state law deals with the law and then everything else is negotiated. I mean, it's unlikely that each one of them would pay $150,000. No, would they all contribute? I would love to say people would just contribute, but I was naive in thinking that. No one has stepped up and no one's willing to help me. And that was kind of a big lesson. Always learning. George? You know, the way I would look at this is when you bought this property in 2006, I would assume that you knew there were going to be some additional costs in terms of bringing power in, water, septic, and just access to the road. So somehow you must have had to figure that in addition to the cost of that property, there's going to be some additional costs that are going to be incurred. And once those amenities are brought in, then that would also typically would increase the value of your property, except we went through this free fall, of course. But typically that's what would happen. So I would think, I also agree with Steve, that I think that the hearing officer, I think, was fairly generous in terms of knocking off $100,000 based on perhaps the cost of bringing some of those amenities in when you do that. And in terms of the difference between a one-acre and a two-acre parcel, I think there's a larger difference between a one-acre and a five-acre parcel than a one-acre and a two-acre parcel. And then it just depends, of course, within that acre, are the view planes similar? Are the building sites similar? Or is that extra acre, is it on a hillside? And I don't know that. So some of those criteria could equal itself out. But where I see, frankly, where I see your potential savings down the road will be after this next assessment cycle, because we do have some better comps, I think. And I think that's where you'll have a better shot in terms of getting the value of your lot reassessed, reevaluated. But at this point, 
given a very limited, and it is difficult because there is very limited comps to use. There hasn't been any really sales up there. You know, the assessors has to do, based on the tools and the experience they have, come up with a number. And again, went to the Board of Appeals, and they made an adjustment as well. So in this case, I would make a motion to uphold the assessor's valuation of this property. A second? Is there a second? I'll second that. Chris, do you want to say something? Just in regard to what George was saying, at the time I bought the property, I probably paid more than I should have for it because I probably paid an amenity-type price for it. Again, I was a little naive in believing that I was going to be able to get the help of my neighbors. Hey, guys, I want to improve my property. I want to live here. I love it here. I'm a regular guy. But I probably paid a little too much for it, and I paid at that amenity price. Things like septic and well in 1041 are, yeah, certainly, I expected to have to pay that. But that's in improving my own parcel. Things like utilities and paved access, that's different. And that's, you know, again, I'm eight-tenths of a mile worth of expense to bring that to the lot. It's a little bit different of an expense that I thought was going to be shared, and it's a big impact. That's all. Okay, thank you, Chris. There's a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Jack? Yes, Steve. My question might be outside of the box of how the assessor operates, and obviously you can give me feedback. But are there times when, due to the lack of sales, which, you know, we're in that time and have been for maybe five years, does the assessor ever look at contiguous, similar, I don't mean neighborhood contiguous, lots at the land values? Because even if it's an improved property, there's a land value and then, you know, your improvements. Does the assessor ever look at kind of comparables in that sense? Not the sale, because there's so few sales, it's almost impossible to get a range. Let's say there's five other one- to two-acre lots in Shielda. Do you ever look at that and see what value those lots are? Our values have to be based on sales, on closed sales. On its previous sale, whenever? On closed sales in that neighborhood or similar ones in similar neighborhoods. So it is total because it's the market approach? Correct. Yeah, okay. And, you know, that's what we have to do. There's a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Opposed. So, Chris, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Steve, thank you. Yes, please. Can I just offer some clarification? You say the motion was to uphold the assessor's value. Would it be more correct to say uphold the assessor's recommendation to adjust the value to the 260? Yes, that's right. Thank you. 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 Th
And Neil, you're clear on that also? Yes. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for your time. The next abatement. So, uh, Justine, do you prefer Justine or Janae? Janae. Janae. That's my nickname. Uh -huh. <laughs> Janae. Okay. So, Janae, you saw how the other hearing went. Um, we let the assessor present, and then there are questions of the assessor, and then we let you present, and there'll be questions of you. So, that's how it'll go. I do notice that Michael Kramer's here, and, and who invited you? Yeah, how come we have three? Why do I have three assessors and the other guy? Hey, well, Mike one. Michael's not an assessor. Mike, uh, Wendy invited me to come and uh, explain floor area of the board, which is for for the what? To explain floor area zoning on Red Mountain. Okay, if, if that question arises. Okay. Uh, uh, Wendy, do you want to proceed? Do you want to go first? Or no, I'm asking you to proceed first, <clears throat> and, and then we'll get Jeanette. Okay, well, I actually brought Mike in to talk about zoning, and Larry had some comments about statutes. So, if you want to start with that. Well, let's, let's would you just, when you okay. lay out what, what, what the question is before us. Okay, the What the valuation is, is of the assessor and why. All right, and then if, if there's subsequent questions that need Larry's clarification or Michael's, we'll do that. Okay. Well, this is a property on 59 Heron Hollow. Um, the, let's see. It's an older home. Um, it's at the like a corner or has a road on three sides. So she has some issues with building FAR. Um, she says she's restricted to 3372 above grade. Um, I have, I'm only allowed to use sales that have occurred to set values, so I found five sales to use, um, mostly in her neighborhood, one not in her neighborhood, but comparable in the home. So I'll go through those um, briefly. Uh, mostly these sales are, that occurred in her neighborhood are between 5.3 and $10.79 million, and the petitioner would like a value 3.3, um, which I see unjustifiable. So the first one, um, two doors down actually, sold for 8.9 million, time adjusted to 7.3. It's a superior <coughs> property, so I took a, a... What, what, I'm sorry, what address is this? <coughs> 1033 Willoughby Way. Okay. So this property um, was built in 1980 with an effective age of 1995. The subject, 
1959 effective year 1975. So I took a downward adjustment to for the difference. So comparable number one is a slightly newer home. I took downward adjustments for the location, for the age of the home, and for the size of the home. I just want to also point out that this home, the comparable number one, has an above grade first floor area of 2139. So their um, allowable FAR is 3673. So this one's also comparable to the subject property that has a lower FAR. They chose to only build 2139 above grade, yet it's still sold for 8.9 million, time adjusted to that 7.3. So with all of my adjustments and comparing this one to the subject, it comes out to 5.026. The next one, the next neighborhood over on Spruce Street, 711 Spruce, sold for 4.2 million, time adjusted to 4.024. This is an inferior neighborhood. It does not have the Red Mountain name across it, so it's an inferior neighborhood. It's also an older home. Uh, built in 1980, 1983 effective age. It's slightly larger, so it took a downward adjustment for that, but the same quality. This one adjusts out to 4.737. So I did that with the rest of the um, comparables. I looked at them and their locations and their views and compared them to the subject. And I believe a fair value for this property, instead of 5.561, would be 4.85 million. Um, and I definitely could only use sale properties in the relevant time frame, July 1st, 2008 to June 30th, 2010. Nothing after that will be used, um, and I definitely cannot look at listings either. Or I cannot look at properties based off what we already set the values as. It has to be the value as a whole, not component values. When somebody buys a property, they don't say how much they bought at the land and how much they bought at the improvements. It's one value as a whole. So that's the only values I will look at. Okay, Wendy. Now, do you need do you need Larry or Michael to speak at this point? No, I. I no, no, Justine. I'm addressing Wendy. Oh, well, I wanted to point out in some of her documentation, she says that she's only allowed 3,372 square feet, but he has because his department sets the FAR allowable, not us. I wanted him to talk about that put that on him because that's his department. Um, so it's not just coming from me. She's allowed more than 3372. She has an entire below grade with garage. And if she purchases, purchases a TDR, she's allowed much more. So that's where I wanted to Mike to step in. Uh, just a second, George. Uh, just a question. Back on your uh, comparables, um, when you look at uh, the Willoughby Way, I didn't see um, any adjustment or well, I guess my question is in terms of uh, views and, and where, the, where the sites are, uh, because I, Heron Hollow Road is, is as it sounds, is, it's backed out in a, into a hollow. Hers is in, kind of in front of that, so it's at the curve. So, so views are, would be similar? I think so. I mean, I didn't go into her house to see what she could see from the top floor, and I didn't go into Comparable One's home to see what they could see exactly. So I stood, you know, with her permission, I stood on her lawn and I saw what she could see from there. And I stood on their lawn and I saw what I could see from there, and they were similar to me. They were similar, okay, thank you. Okay, uh, I think, well, rather than go to Michael right away, we'll hear uh, Janae's argument, because really that's pertinent to her argument rather than your argument. 
as I understand it. You presented the comparables to us, and that's essentially your argument. She has another argument, and, and we'll deal with that at that point. Um, Jack, do you have a yeah, question? Uh, real quick, Wendy, um, on acres and the comparables, comparables one, comparables one, three, and four have no acreage. It's the square footage in the second column below acres. So either presumption oh, so machine is acres or square footage. Yeah, okay, got you. That's FAR neighborhood. That would be an FAR neighborhood then? Or is it no, square? You mean square acreage? Square footage of the land. Oh, yeah, okay. Something wasn't working for me, so now it is. Thank you. <laughs> Any further questions for Wendy? Okay, Janae, go ahead and make your case. Thank you. I have lived here 45 years, and I live in a house, lot 14, lot 2 of Pitkin Green. Uh, it has a road easement of 8,215 square feet surrounding my property. That's a private road. And back I, uh, in the 70s, I was down zoned, and in order to figure out allowable FAR, you have to take that road easement of 8,000 plus square feet and deduct it from your lot size. My lot size is approximately three quarters of an acre, 34,160 square feet. And so what I'm allowed uh, basically to build from is a 25,945 square foot lot, uh, which is basically six tenths of an acre. Now, I can only, and I have to this day, uh, since my house was built in 1959 and I did a small addition with an expansion on a debt and uh, put in another garage in a, an art studio, I can only have 3,372 square feet above grade. So um, in taking cells in, in my area uh, and comparing them uh, in land size, since, since uh, land and lots and values of lots are based on the size of the house you can build and the size of your lot, um, I'd like to uh, go through a couple of schedules uh, comparing in my neighborhood, probably one of the largest lots that was sold in this time period um, was the Truesdale. Uh, property at, uh, and they have 2.4 acres, and that's four times what mine is. And it, the land value on that was nine million, and the land value on my property is 5.5 million. I, I feel that what you have to do in these situations is compare. You, just because you, you live in Pitkin Green, just because you're the oldest house up there and you haven't done much renovation, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be um, taxed out of proportion on your land. Well, Can taking... Yes, just if you could reference pages that you're getting this information. Well, you're going to throw out a lot I'm, of numbers. It would be easier for us if we could mark it. And, and, and I know you just gave us some, a whole stack of new information. Okay. So well, I don't want to... Okay. have all these numbers go in one ear and out the okay, other. Okay, why so. don't I do it this way and I'll, I'll uh, start with just basically my house in the lot and that's page 2.1. You can see that it's an older house. It has uh, 
on page 2.2, you can see uh, the addition of the garage that I just uh, mentioned. It has that old uh, framing that's, that's cheap. You can see the view. Um, what my problem is that many of the neighbors have uh, built and uh, regraded their land in front of me and I have trees that, that uh, have grown up so the views weren't what they were back in the 60s uh, or, or the early 70s. This is the back side of my house. Uh, again, 2.3, the back side, the lower part, the, the balcony, it is not, it's a teardown without question. Now, um, and you can see on 2.4 where the land is valued at $5.5 million and the house <clears throat> at uh, 61. Now, if we take a look at sales uh, in the area, which is on your front page number one, you can see that 109 Willoughby is sold. Uh, this is the, probably the most valuable piece of land in the area. This was the ponds that uh, sold for 20 million, I think, and uh, uh, the value place on this land, which is gorgeous, ponds, you can look through, look at the views, unobstructed views of Red Mountain. The value on this piece of property was 9 million. The value on mine is 5.5 million. And yet it's 2.4, 2.5 acres. So that's four times the size of my lot. Yet I can only build, because of my road encumbrance, I can only build a 3,300 square foot home. They have a, um, a, a, a home that is uh, uh, 11,000, uh, or, or uh, 11,537, that's page 8, 11,437, uh, that's, that's the size they can build. I mean, this, this is a multi-million dollar home. The next uh, value is 144 Magnifico, which is, um, um, it has 0.74 acres, okay? Mine, without its roads easement, that you, the private road easement that you have to deduct is 0 .79, uh, is 0 .79, but mine is 0 .60 acres. Yes, this house, this house that we're looking at, a beautiful home here, page uh, 10A. Do you want a copy of this? Page 10A is uh, much bigger. It's 6,777 square feet. They can build bigger. I can only build 3,300 square feet. It's brand new. Uh, the land value on that lot was 5.8 million. The land value on my lot is 5.5. Moving on, uh, along on... Um, Excuse me, Michael, may I get a uh, question? When you say um, the value on the land now, this is from all the assessors? Yes. The, all this documentation, can, you go page 10? Yes, page measure. 10, it shows land value that he put on this during this um, uh, time. And uh, if you go to page 11, you can see that the total heated area is 6,888. 6, now, if you go back to mine. Okay, one last qual yes. question. Um, 
Are you talking about when you say size of home, is that above grade? Because what that's you're talking about here is above grade. That is all above grade. Everybody in Red Mountain can have another 4,000 feet below grade. You can always dig down under the earth, but even the house that Wendy had mentioned, they, they, they talk about it being below grade. It's got windows that have a view. I mean, that's not really below grade. Uh, somehow, it's, uh, if you build a, uh, on a steep slope, and originally it was below grade, then I suppose you could um, take out, I know, one house that did this at uh, the bottom and have it a view from below grade, but you certainly can't on a flat piece of land like mine. You, you're going to have, you can't do it. Now, um, just to backtrack a bit, you can, I want to explain, here on page 2.4 is, uh, shows the land value of what the assessor has assessed, uh, 5.5 million. It shows the, the wooded, the total heated area at 3,252, that's what I have existing. Here is a plat on page 2.6 showing my area in Pitkin Green. I'm one of the smallest lots around. And you can see the road, this is a private road easement. That's why the private roads that go around have to be deducted from FAR. Not, not county roads, just this little private, and I'm totally, I'm smaller not to begin with, and with this deduction I end up with approximately 0.6 tenths of an acre, almost half an acre. And this is, shows the calculation, the next page, 2.7, of um, what Charles Cunniff uh, back in the 90s uh, calculated, um, and it is the same today, how you calculate FAR. You take the allowable square, your lot, minus any easements, and you end up with a lot area of 25,945 times 0.13 is 3,372 square feet of house that I can build. And this has been confirmed by Gibson, another architect, back in the 70s. And here is a, um, on next page, 2.7, you have a um, survey where it shows the 40-foot road easement. This is a problem here. Uh, circulating my house, private road, and uh, how that en encumbers my lot. Yet, all through these years, I have been over-assessed, over-appraised. I paid $11,695, with my land value being $5,500,000 on that little lot. Now, um, if we go down to the next schedule, the next property on the schedule, 1151, Willoughby, another neighbor, they have a land size of 1.2 acres. Okay, this is on page 13A. 1.2 acres, they have uh, a land size. That's twice as the size of mine. And yet, the assessor put 5.5 million on their land. That's what I, he assessed me at, 5.5 million. Yet, 
they can build a 6,700 square foot home. This is, I'm on page 13A, I'm sorry if I've confused everybody. 13A, here you see the house. More views of the house. Big home, 600 and um, 700 square feet. The views from the house are pretty much open. We're on page 13C, a beautiful view of, you, you're looking down the valley, you've got a view of uh, Aspen Mountain, which you don't particularly from my house because of the trees growing up in front of it. You've got a view of Highlands, you have a view of Buttermilk, and yet it's twice the lot size with a huge home on it, and the land value is 5500000 That's the same that my land value is. Hmm, but I can only build 3,300 some square feet house, and they could build a 6,700 square foot house. Okay, let's go to 10, 1033 Willoughby. This is this home that um, Wendy mentioned, and this is on page 15, page 15. Now, this is a nice new home. It's approximately uh, seven-tenths of an acre. However, there's no road deduction from that seven-tenths of an acre. They can have more FAR than I. They have above grade 400 or 4,442 square feet. If you look on page 15, Sixteen, total heated area, 4,442, okay? And that's, that's above, I consider that above grade when you have views up and down stairs of, of uh, views like this. Let's look at uh, page 15B. Here are their views. Okay, we've got views again. Aspen Mountain, Highlands, Buttermilk. We have a little carriage house, an additional home. Uh, there's a residence above this little garage. This is on page 15B. Is everybody there? This uh, 2,000 square feet above grade uh, and, and below grade is, is poppycock because those are really above grade. Um, and here's some other views of this beautiful home and uh, its structure. Now, um, I would like to mention my neighbor behind me. This, the, all these lots and all these homes are either bigger, bigger lots, better views, and newer homes. Mine was built in 1959, and with T, the 211 or whatever, the cheapest kind of siding. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's a teardown if I've ever seen one. But here is a beautiful log home at 153 Heron Hollow. Uh, that's 18A. That's the house behind me, um, the Kirby home. They're on nine point nine nine tenths of an acre. I'm on uh, 0.6 after the road deduction, but they have some road deduction 
there too because they uh, share uh, the back of Heron Hollow with me. And it's a brand new beautiful log home. If you look on <clears throat> page um, 19, you'll see that the land on this nine-tenths of an acre was valued at four million. Yet mine was valued at 5.5 million. Uh, and they have a house uh, that is uh, a beautiful log home with views. If you look at the views, um, well, their home is, a heated area is 3,794. It's a little larger than mine, but it's brand new. And they're asking, it's on the market for 2.9 million. Now, uh, not, uh, that's today. It's on the market for 2.9 million, but the fact is that it is larger acreage. Um, they can add on, and again, the assessor has overassessed my land and um, uh, by their assessment. Now, here's another one, a friend um, on Red Mountain, Joyce Cher. She's, she got assessed her land at 2 million eight. This is page 21A. This has views, oh, well, this has views the back in the hollow. This has the same views as mine too, and we'll go back to that, but. What is the address of this one? Uh, on Red Mountain, it's page 21A, and it's uh, 951 Red Mountain. 951 Red Mountain, that's Joyce Share. She has, nine, again, nine-tenths of an acre. Nine-tenths of an acre, and the, she was assessed at two million eight. And look at the views. She's selling this now for 5695000 This is this one. And she's got unobstructed views of, of, of Aspen Mountain. At this point, I can't even see Aspen Mountain. Um, she has, her, her land value was uh, three, eight million, eight million. No, excuse me, two million, her land value was two million eight, and her, her uh, home value, and she has 3,574 square feet. Uh, and last but not least is my, my neighbor up the block, Brent Waldron. And he, uh, he has an older home like mine, but mine's even older. And he's done some remodeled on his. This is um, 186 Magnifico. And uh, this land value is assessed at four million six. Now the reason, and it has 0.73 acres. It has no encumbrance. That stays at 7.3. He's on a hill. He, he can build a three-story beautiful big home there. And yet he was only assessed at 4.6 and his views are totally unobstructed. Look at these views. Nobody can build in front of them like was built in, in, in front of me where they moved the land around up 15 feet and regraded and planted tall trees. This, this is up and down the valley. You have Independence, you have um, Aspen Mountain, you have Highlands, 
you have uh, buttermilk and um, snow mass up and down. And um, so what I uh, would like to say is that when I tried to uh, list this and ask um, realtors, well, what do you think? I get letters from John McCormick, this is page 25, stating that you are so impacted by the size of your lot that, um, you know, if you can't build at least a 6,000 square foot home, well, forget it, sort of. I, I don't believe that, obviously. They're uh, small homes that are okay, but I have been way over assessed on my land value. And I, I would like you to look at page three, going back to the uh, schedule that was done up by the appraiser Dave Ritter, and we decided, well, what's fair here? Let's take a um, compare uh, by code page three of, of, of the whole packet. So you got to kind of look through here. Um, and it's sort of on the front, too, but here it shows the schedule. If you take all these huge lots and these values, uh, land values of these, these uh, properties that we just visited, and you do an average, just a simple average, you come out with a land value of 3,600,000 670,000 and um, uh, that's that's assuming that I don't even, I'm not even impacted uh, or, or, or no I guess it is assuming I'm impacted because he says allowable site by code okay so um, this is assuming that I have um, uh, 0.6 tenths of an acre of usable lot size, which is the case. I only have 0.6 tenths of an acre of, of usable, that means what I can build on, lot size, where all these other people uh, with their 2.2 acres and full acres and two, et cetera, can build much bigger homes. Uh, then here's another schedule. Let's look at that differently. What 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 the value is compared to what you can build. So what page is this now? This is the uh, page four. This schedule. Again, doing an analysis, uh, maximum floor area by code. Um, if you compare the fact that I can only build 3,372 square feet and uh, compare it uh, with all these other cells, because there aren't other cells, but in, and they're in the, the Red Mountain neighborhood, uh, the, the value comes out, again, the midpoints, 3,640,000 or uh, total value, 3 million. 700,000. Um, in sum, I, uh, there's a little, I, I can show you what I've been paying. <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I get back a day late and I want to protest my taxes. Oh no, you got to go for an abatement. Sorry, you're a day late. Um, you can see how they just skyrocketed. Um, we have that document here. And yes, I think I Last page. St stuck it there someplace. In the new packet, yeah. Um, it's, it's not, it's, I know um, Tommy Isaacs thinks I have a great lot and I should, he thinks, you know, that I, it, this is fairly assessed. I, I, for years, I feel I have been overpaid. I've showed, I'm over, over assessed. I've been overpaying. I have a house that is a definite tear down that is uh, far inferior to all these that I've shown you and is much older. It was the first house up there and it's been impacted by this road. Um, and I, I uh, you wonder, it's, it's hard paying these taxes. Um, <laughs> we're just all struggling to sort of survive here, but uh, the assessor seems to think, well, that's tough. Uh, you have to do what's fair. And uh, when you look at these and you see how I have been way over-assessed in what I can build and the land value, I feel um, it's time to look at what the real value is. And uh, it's certainly below, uh, it's in the three million range, particularly with a neighbor who lives behind me in a beautiful new log house and has the same views as I, uh, and is selling his presently for two million nine. I don't even know where he's gonna get that. But uh, I'm, I feel I have been um, treated unfairly over all these years and it's time to try and adjust that. And I hope that you can help me. So Janae, the, the current valuation of your house is $61,000. Do you think that's fair? It's a little high, but yeah, it's a tear down. I, it's, I think it's high compared to I, I think it should be around 40 or, you know, it's, it's a very old house. But in relation to these other houses you're talking about, is it fair? It's, it's, it's what it is, yeah. That it's the land value. The, the, the land I'm not value going to argue that point. You can argue everything, but I, I'm not. I'm just asking you whether you think it's fair or not. I think it's high. You think I think it's high, so but I'm not going to argue. $61,000 assessment on your uh, valuation of your house is high? I think it's a little high, but the land value is what I really think is high. Mm -hmm. so, so your argument is essentially the land value? The argument is land value, you're right. Okay. Any questions for Jeanette? I have a question, I guess, for Mike, which okay. if, if I might ask that one. Okay, go ahead. Um, it, it sounds like a lot of this argument is pinging on this uh, 3372 number, which is there what the applicants uh, is suggesting is the maximum square footage that they can build on that lot. But I think I heard differently previously. So what's the what's the code tell us in terms of what's allowable on this lot? From and and. I would say this is a public hearing, so this is probably admissible when they want to build in the future to say 
hey, well, you've been taxing me based on this information. So what's the information on what you can build on this lot? Sure. Well, wait, wait. They're, they're taxing, the taxes are based on what you possess on that lot at the time of the tax, taxation occurs, not on potential. The land value is based on the potential building power of the lot, yes, I would say. In part. In part. <laughs> in part, but not entirely. Correct. Okay. Michael? Sure. So almost the entirety of Red Mountain is owned uh, R30. Our third district affords a 0 0.13 area ratio, or 13% of your lot area. And, and Janae and Wendy both are correct. Um, there's an encumbrance of a road easement on the property, and the area of that road easement is deducted from the lot size. So if you think about it in a mathematical equation, it's, it's really quite simple. You have your lot size, which is the entirety of the lot. Take away any access or road easements that encumber a lot, and that gives you what's called lot area. And then lot area is multiplied by 0.13. And the numbers that are being thrown out, this 3372 is the correct number, and that's what can be built above grade for this lot. And every other lot on Red Mountain, the lot area times 0.13 is their above grade allowable buildable. And um, yeah, that's, that's our zoning code. Now, because this is within the UGB, our urban growth boundary, uh, it's also afforded a 4,000 square foot subgrade space. And that's true subgrade, not, not walkout basement, but true subgrade spaces below, below grade. Um, and that could be a maximum of 4,000 square feet. And then uh, lots within the UGB with foyer ratios are also afforded a 750 square foot garage. So in theory, one can build their above grade 3372 well, for Janae's lot now speaking to. A 4,000 square foot subgrade space and then a 750 square foot garage. Um, and because our current growth management exemption in the county is 5750, to attain that much floor area, which totals to 8,122, um, one would have to purchase a transferable development right to attain that much floor area. So that's basically the way zoning in this area works. Yes. Can I make? But a, I, I think it's important on. to also understand how that eighty-one twenty-two, which is what I just heard, is the maximum with the TDR. If you were to max out the space with the extra garage, the garage space, um, how does that compare to these other comparables that we've, you know, we've seen these? The applicant has put forward these um, assessor reports with total heated area. So when they, I'm trying, trying to figure out what my question is. How does that number compare to these other comparables? Is, is I guess what I'm saying. Because I think the land, in my opinion, the land is valued for its potential buildability as a teardown or whatever, and the land is 90% of the values on most of these comparables. Um, so if we look at just the land value, the land is to compare apples and apples, you have to look at how much square footage you're allowed to build on those properties. So I'm trying to get an understanding of 
if you're saying the maximum square footage with subgrade stuff is is 8,000 or a little bit above 8,000, how does that compare to these other comparables with their 4,000 below grade and their that makes sense. I don't know if it's. Well, I think I think that actually might be too complex for, yeah. for Michael to answer because really he's yeah. here no, I, to talk about uh, ratios and. Uh, so maybe the, maybe it's for the applicant to address how she feels this yeah. compares. Well, let, now that she's heard that number. Parts. Um, so, Thank you, Michael. So Michael just is addressing Janae's potential yeah, yeah, on yeah. her lawn. Gotcha. And I don't think he can. He isn't prepared to go through the potential of all these other lots. I agree. Okay. So hold on, Janine. Well, we'll get to you. This is a hearing that you're going, you're going to be heard, and all the commissioners are going to be heard, and everybody here is going to be heard. Just take it easy. So um, that question, I think, then goes back to the land values uh, of the comparables that Wendy um, uh, presented, and then. Um, I think we should have the assessor answer that question and Janae to answer that question. Janae, go ahead and begin answering Rob's question in terms of the valuation of your land versus the square footage that you have. I want to answer what Rob was asking. How does that compare to every other house and all these comparables? Well, it's the same thing. They have an additional 4,000 square feet below grade that they can do too. If you took this, which is all above grade, what you're looking at is assessment above grade. It's not below grades. Uh, first floor, second floor, um, I don't know about this. Uh, I'm not garden level basement. Let me just uh, I, I'm not sure. But every, to answer your question. Janine, let me just clarify what you said. Where, where you've marked off, it says total heated area. Right. And you're, you're saying that that only applies to the above grade space. Is that correct? I'm asking one of the assessors. Well, and no. The answer to that is the, the total heated area also includes basement. Heated basement. Heated, movable <coughs> basement. And so elsewhere, I would have to look at the, uh, the sheet, but elsewhere in uh, you know, the assessor's printouts, it, the four areas are broken out, you know, by level. Uh, and so where it says total heated living area, that, that in some cases can be totally above grade, but it can also include below grade space as well. And I'm trying to understand the numbers here. So, Janae, let me ask you a direct question. On your calculations on page four, of maximum square, maximum floor area by code. You've got 109 Willoughby Way that says 13,000 square feet. And you've got your 3372 um, number as part of this calculation. Is that 13,000 square feet, does that include subgrade area? I do and not. And if it does, no, then, it the 30, then the 33 number, I think the number you should have used there is the 81.22. No, it does not. It does not. This is above grade. I had this done by an assessor, Jade Ritter. Uh, this is uh, this is above grade. You can see the areas. You can see the different floor levels. Above grade, I'm assuming, and I'm using as 
a view, a walkout view. This, uh, this is on seven. Judge, well, I, I want everyone to kind of catch up to where they're at so I can then ask another question. Okay. Yeah, up to so, you, Michael. Whenever. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, I thought Jack had a question for me, too. So we'll let Janae finish her, 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 her um, response to Rob. And then yeah, we'll thank you. Okay, so all these are above, you can see. The, the, maybe this was at one time considered below book. These are all above grade, however. Uh, walk out above grade. Mine's above grade. Um, this is, this one's all above grade. They have views from these areas. If you put a below grade on my lot, it would be buried and you wouldn't see anything. There's no way you could get a view because it's flat. Uh, Jack, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, uh, okay, so this is for Janae, just to get me back to focusing instead of tremendous amount of data, which I compliment you on, just to the research. Um, well, your, why you're here today is to protest your, your land value. We're not really focusing... Well, it's the total value in the land. Well, I understand that there's a total value, but your main discomfort is the land value. Correct. That, that, and I might be putting words in your mouth, so correct me if I am in any way wrong. And so... The first thing I, I'm trying to understand is we're talking about land values. When I look at just the examples you've given us here on exactly. what is page one as articulated throughout in numerous pages and ABC addendums to, the, <laughs> to those numbers, um, I see an initial uh, inconsistency or discrepancy in two ways. There are lot larger lots that have some approximate land values and then there are even lots of the uh, same size or larger but have less values and I and so that's what you are you've articulated. So my question to the assessor's office, <coughs> because we'll be flexible as to who um, answers. How do you explain the discrepancy? For example, we have a 0.96 acre property. Now, and I'm going on, that's what, these are facts. So I'm gonna accept that at face value on page one, as far as size of lots. How do we have four, $4 million in value, but Janae's property is point, uh, it's in total, let's not talk about the road easement right now, it's what, 0. 0.74 or something, or, or nine, whatever, eight. But, and that's 5,500,000. Second example, 0. 0.92 acres, 2.8 million dollars for the land value. Help me out understanding the discrepancy or inconsistency here, sure. either Wendy or Larry. Certainly. 
When we assign land values, uh, and this is throughout the county, um, I think there is a misconception that uh, the land size in and of itself is the be-all and the end-all of land value. And I think that there are clearly other criteria that come into play as far as assigning land values. Uh, and that has to do with the, the location of the parcel, the views of the parcel, uh, the topography of the parcel. Uh, all of those things come into play uh, when assigning land values to, uh, to uh, a parcel. Uh, and I think what has been attempted here is to present the information in such a way that it represents a land value solely on a per acre basis or solely on an allowable floor area that can be built basis. And I think by doing that, it eliminates the other factors that contribute to value, which include views, location, topography, et cetera, et cetera. If I can give a couple of examples, uh, Janae's house is at the entrance to uh, Heron Hollow. But if you take Heron Hollow up and you go behind the bluff, uh, there are lots uh, that basically look into the, the back side of a hill. And so that's a case where perhaps you could have a two and a half acre parcel, but if your view is this, as opposed to you know, the view of the mountains that is afforded on the front side of that bluff, then that's a clear example of where a larger parcel in and of itself doesn't have the value because uh, although you may be able to build a larger house on that parcel, uh, the amenities that people are purchasing isn't just uh, the size of the home that can be built. Uh, and if I may, maybe I can discuss a couple of things uh, in, in regards to the methodology of what uh, has been done here uh, and the flaws that I see you know, with that as opposed to what Wendy has done uh, with her appraisal. Uh, the comparisons that have been made, first of all, on Janae's uh, first page, there are two groups of, of properties. Uh, the first four, are actual sales, but those are sales of improved properties. The second four are not sales, those are just neighboring properties, uh, and it goes back to you know what was brought up by Jack in, in the prior hearing. Is it appropriate to use the values that were assigned to neighboring properties uh, in a given subdivision and use those as the basis of value? I would say that the best indicator of value would be actual comparable sales with adjustments that have been made to account for the differences between the sale property and the subject property. What they've done with this analysis, uh, in, in Ritter's uh, analysis, what they have done is they have taken these improved sales. For example, the, the Troyer Truesdale property that sold at 109 Willoughby uh, was a $20 million sale. And instead of trying to use that sale as a comparable for improved property to improved property, what they've done is taken the assigned land value uh, to that property and then tried to massage that number. You know, it, it, one, he, he did two sheets. His two sheet, the first, takes the value and tries to assign a per acre value and then applies that per acre value uh, to the subject property. Okay, and again, by taking just a per acre value without taking into account 
views, location, topography, et cetera, et cetera, you eliminate all of the other factors that contribute to value uh, by using just a per acre value in and of itself. The second page analysis does an analysis of allowable floor area. And there are a couple of flaws that I see with that also. Uh, again, they're using not the value of a site that was determined by the sale of a site. They are using the value of a property, uh, the assessors assigned land value for that property, and then try to do the analysis with that. What I see with the floor area analysis is that, and this is on page four, I believe. So, so for example, if you look at the, the first sale uh, that is listed here, it's a 2.45 acre uh, parcel. And I'm assuming that when it says allowable floor area by code, uh, as far as the allowable floor area, where it says 13,874, that that is 0.13 of 2.45 acres. Well, I think Mike can, can explain that the allowable floor area by code is 5,750. So even though you've got a two and a half acre lot, it doesn't mean that you just get to extrapolate that in perpetuity to get the maximum uh, allowable sales per floor area for that parcel. Uh, 13,874 is what may be allowable if you buy additional TDRs, uh, but that is not what you get by right uh, just for uh, you know, having a larger parcel. Um, and in doing that, then what he's done is to say, okay, well, you take the $9 million value that was assigned by the assessor, which was not a sale in and of itself, you divide that by the 13,874 square feet to get $649 per square foot of allowable FAR. He then applies that to the subject's allowable floor area to get a land value of 2187000 And I would say that that I've never seen an appraisal anywhere uh, that has determined a land value uh, for a property other than by using actual land sales. And so if the purpose of, of the petitioner's appeal is to assign a land value, it certainly seems to me that rather than using land values that had been assigned by the assessor's office as the basis of value, that it would have been more germane to use actual land sales and try to do an analysis of those land sales relative to the subject's property. And, and I find that that, that analysis uh, is missing. In this case, I feel like the analysis that Wendy has done uh, in trying to use improved sales, similarly situated, and make adjustments to those improved sales uh, relative to the subject more accurately accounts for the differences between the sale properties and the subject property and provides a more sound basis of value uh, you know, for the subject property. We are recommending an adjustment. I believe the initial value uh, was something like 5.5 and Wendy is adjusting a, a revised value of, of 4,850,000. Uh, I think the flaw uh, of the analysis, the fact that that, that 
Ms. Kirk has not relied on actual either vacant land sales or taken improved sales and made adjustments to uh, the property differences between the improved sales and the subject property. I think that that is uh, an inaccurate means of comparison as far as appraisal analysis is concerned. And I don't believe that that uh, gives a reliable result. Uh, the last thing that I would, would bring to mind is uh, the attempt to say that, well, what the neighbor got, you know, it should be the basis of, of what I get. There have been court cases, one in particular, that says that it is incorrect to use equalization, i.e. comparison to other properties in the neighborhood as the basis of value. Uh, this is a, a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. In a couple of pertinent uh, parts of this, uh, for example, it says, in this case, uh, for this reason, the proper focus of the district court's inquiry was not whether the assessor's value of the POTOL's individual improvements was equal to the values of assigned assigned to similar subdivision properties, but whether the assessor's valuation of the POTOL's improvement was correct. So we're not here to say whether or not the value of Ms. Kirk's property is correct relative to what we did to the other properties in the neighborhood. What we're here to say is whether or not the value that was assigned to Ms. Kirk's property is in fact accurate. And I believe that the comparable sales that Wendy presented with adjustments to specific line items for each of those comparables uh, is the best indicator of value, uh, you know, for the reasons uh, you know, that I indicated. Larry, it's, it's really the only indicator of value you can use in this case, isn't it? Comparable sales of, of similarly situated improved properties. I, I think that's... Right. Uh, are there any questions for Larry? Jeanette, do you want to respond? Yes. These were done by an assessor, and these... Well, you mean an appraiser. An appraiser, and an appraiser. Uh, we didn't pull these out. Uh, it's very clear that uh, these are comparable cells in the neighborhood. The square footage is correct on these. They're above grade. The land value is, is, is uh, assessed here, and while uh, the assessor might say, well, we don't normally go by these kinds of charts, it's definitely a comparative. You can't, you can't just uh, come up with other um, uh, comparables in another area, as Wendy has done all of a sudden, and say, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is where we came up with this. It's clear that the assessor is all over the chart when it comes to land values. It's very clear that I have been over-assessed year after year for the last four years on my, my land. And uh, I don't know how you can look at my house and say, um, well, here's the house behind me with great views. These are the views. Uh, from here, the same views as I have, uh, only better because they're up higher. They can go below grade and get their 4000 below grade when they sell this $2.2 million house and, and build uh, even more than what they have. Uh, uh, I think if you take the time to go through these and realize that I have been so unfairly 
compared that that these are good comparables and that i have been unfairly assessed it 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 stands to reason to the assessor has a lot to assess and he's just over over assessed me um unfairly i feel over and over and over um and uh these this front page shows where these as as um uh it's been brought up where the land value is assigned the same as mine and yet they can build and they have built seven thousand square foot homes that's the value that that uh you you pay for for a lot a seven thousand square foot home if you can build that you're going to pay 5.5 million on your land um nobody's going to pay 5.5 million on my land or even 4.75 or whatever they want to um uh, compare me to or uh, lower the assessment uh when you can only build a 3300 square foot house and nobody is going to dig up this flat lot and put something below grade or, or with tdrs or whatever everybody is a lot of that and um I get emotional over this because I know that Tommy Isaacs has it out for me and I feel that he is totally he he has fought me on this year after year and um for whatever reasons I feel that this is my assessment on the land is 3,000,003 and I I just urge you all to look at those comparables Thank you, Jeanette. Uh, George, you Yeah, I, ju I just want to correct a few things. Um, your, your property was appraised based on standard appraisal practices using comparable sales. What you're showing us here from Dave Ritter, this is not an appraisal. I do This is not an appraisal. You know, these are just some numbers that they put together for some comparisons, but they're not, as Larry said, they're not apples to apples. But it's not an appraisal. I so do have an appraisal, though. Well, then that should be shared if it's during the same time frame that we're talking about. The other thing is um, the ability to build subgrade, whether you want to build subgrade or not. Many people do. In fact, we just recently. Uh, approved uh, a subgrade for some homes down in Woody Creek that were substantial in size. So there is a demand uh, for people who want additional square footage to build subgrade. Uh, you may not want to, but it's not to say that another person would or would not. In fact, we had a similar situation where we just approved subgrade on a ridge of Red Mountain, the same way. So. I just want to make it clear that uh, when you look at an appraisal, there is a metho methodology that is used that is accepted uh, in the industry in terms of how appraisals are done and how properties are valued. Now, you may not agree with that, and that's why you're here, and I understand that. But I just want to make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. This is not an appraisal. Well, I do have an appraisal. <coughs> And it was done back in 2008. 
and it was appraised at four million three back in two thousand eight this is the appraisal so again larry that's not during the time period what's the time period that we're well, looking at? that's the peak of it the data collection period for this time period is june of 2008 through july june 30th of 2010. Uh, and, and so this appraisal would be at the very front i'm not sure what date it was done or the dates of the sales that were used as the basis of the appraisal but i would say that that would be at the, at the very front end of Well, it was four million three seventy, and it was a uh, uh, date of appraisal was June thirtieth, two thousand eight, uh, or June twenty ninth, two thousand ten. Date of appraisal report, June twenty ninth, uh, two thousand ten. So here's an appraisal. So those would be the comps that you should be using in terms of your argument. I'm not going to look through this right now because that's, that's you know that, that's hours worth of work. But those those would be the comps that you should be arguing for versus looking at at you know these sheets. Well, that's what Dave gave me, and he also did this appraisal, and uh, it's uh, so. The appraisal's four million three, uh, but it was uh, June 29, two thousand ten. So, question. Yeah, June twenty ninth. The the appraisal date for the assessor's office is two thousand ten, right? It's June June thirtieth, two thousand June. So, within a couple months of when this appraisal was done. Correct. And uh, different methodologies. No. Uh, and in fact, that appraisal was done during the last valuation cycle. Uh, Ms. Kirk appealed all the way to the BAA. Yeah. And this is the appraisal that was done uh, in preparation for the hearing at the BAA. It has a valuation date of June 30th, 2008. So even though it was written after that, uh, that point. Oh, okay. It was uh, written in two thousand ten. Correct. The, correct. Evaluation of two thousand. Correct. And Which so, is was weren't the gotcha. properties at the peak then though? Well, at much higher. Right. In two thousand eight. But the sales that were used as the basis of, of that appraisal predate two thousand eight. So yeah. that goes even farther back. Yeah. In, in which case, those are sales that that likely you know were used. You know, but again. Being that this was uh, an, an appraisal that was done, uh, you know, as part of uh, the appeal process, um, and I think we ended up settling for a value that was higher than the value indicated on the appraisal. Uh, so I don't know, you know, without you know full review of the appraisal, you know, how much it, it would be worth. Well, uh, we didn't go through the appeal. Well, I understand, but we settled before it went to an actual hearing, and I believe the number that we settled on was higher than the four million uh, you know, that was indicated in uh, Dave's appraisal. So, all I'm saying is, for this hearing, I don't know that that, that appraisal is necessarily germane. So, Jack, do you have a question? Yeah, um, I want to clarify uh, in the memo. I believe Wendy has. 
I absolutely get, because I did ask the same question in the previous hearing about how the assessor uses the market approach and you use for sale, you know, sales, as to try to arrive, you know, not that there's many sales here, but at least we have a reasonable number of comparables, typical of our hearings. But then, once you do that, and the reason why we're here is because of the discretion we have as commissioners. And it's a gut feeling. It's a whatever. And so, my analysis cannot exclude the analysis that she provided from 18A to page 24, and it's on page one of her sheet, where the last four, those are not sales, they're just neighbor properties, as it were. I understand what the law requires, but this is an analysis that's important, too, and I believe we do have the ability to use our discretion. Ultimately, each of us, because there's no formula, you know, set by law that you have acreage, visibility, improvements, access, you know, all these things that you generate out of a computer and it gives you a number. And so, for me, this property has less value than the land value I'm talking about, has less value because of elements that we've been shown in neighborhood, and I'm familiar with this neighborhood because I manage a home in this neighborhood. And so, there are mansions and there are old, funky homes and everything in between. And so, for me, and I have to ask the assessor what the improvement value is, but there's no way, you know, of the home itself, that's a standalone number, but there's no way for me that I see that this property should be valued at the original $5.5 million. I think it's much less. You know, and I guess one of the few times I might ever say it in my commissioner time, trees do obstruct views. That's amazing. We love trees. There's an inconsistency for me. But I've been around the corner because I went to a home that was being built around the corner. We had an issue about caretaker units or what, I don't remember. It's been eight years or something. But, and so, in fact, I think this property is worth at least a million dollars less than the $5.5. And that's just kind of where I land because of trying to understand all this data, familiarity with the neighborhood, the time period is important. One of the few times I'm disagreeing with the assessor in all these years. Jack, do you want to make a motion to that effect? So, Michael, a question to try to ascertain. If we're at $5.5 and then that was the total value, 
right? Improvements in land or? 5,561. Yeah, oh, yeah, 561. I gotta make sure I'm starting on my basis. And we're at 485, 4,850,000 is, oh. Yes, that's it here. Because I confuse myself by decibels. <laughs> Um, not decibels, uh, anyway, tens, twenty, you know, the number game. I'm blanking out. I, I, it's hard for me. I, I'm trying to. Uh, Let me help you I, I, I really think that we ought to be about uh, on the whole property. I would make a motion to. Value the property, including the improvement, land and improvements, at 4.25 million. I will second that motion, and I'll add some discussion to it. You know, I think the, the assessor's office uses a set guideline for appraising a property's value, and I think that set guideline, although set by various statutes is, has got its faults just like the, the data that has been presented to us has its faults. Um, and I do think, I agree with Jack that there is some, some leeway when data is presented to uh, tackle things in various different ways. And I don't take any of this from a face value. Um, I think one of the things which I wish was more part of this, probably would have made an even better argument, is that appraisal from a 2008 evaluation of, um, I don't know what she said it was, four point something million. And I think the market has diminished dramatically from then. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm not saying that that's the proper way to appraise it. I'm saying as commissioners in a hearing, you come to a, uh, I think you come to a way of kind of looking at all the data and saying, you know, what's the, the best end to, you know, take a little of this and take a little of that. And, and um, I think looking at the information that was presented today, I can feel very comfortable with that $4.25 million. Any further discussion, George? Jack, I don't understand how you came up with that number. You have to help me out. Well, you know, I can, I can see obviously uh, the comparables and how deductions, etc. And I try to focus on the land in particular because improvements. Say the guy next door. Great, he has a newer, larger home, and that's a matter of time, famous. But Janae did say that the issue was the land. And, you know, though I understand what the law says, you do sales, these other properties speak for themselves. When on page one, we have larger properties with beautiful views of Aspen Mountain, Buttermilk, and Highlands um, that are assessed at two something. I should get my one page, so I'm speaking from 
tax. Um, you know, the property is assessed at $2,800,000, and we're, we're talking about uh, this property number on page 19. And then you look at the views. Um, it's, no, 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 okay, so we gotta keep going and go to the next property. George, you asked, so I have to get. No, no, I guess I'm, I'm no, trying no, to deal no, with no, that. No, no, that's what I was confused about because when you first started, Jack, you, you noted that the original <coughs> valuation of the appraisers that the assessor's office put on this was five million five hundred sixty-one thousand seven hundred, right. and you said, well, I think we should uh, take a million dollars off. Said, okay, so that makes us that makes it at uh, four million four five zero oh, seven. So. So my question is, how did you go from four and a half million down to four point two? Because I was starting from when I said a million dollars, um, I was speaking in general terms, not specific, because I, I haven't, hadn't been able to digest all these numbers and trying to come up with an average. And quite frankly, and I and I admit now for the fourth time probably that I was. I didn't get all my zeros in there, and it ruined my calculation, you know, my subtraction. Because I went 4.85 million and reduced it by 0.62. No, it wasn't 600,000, it was only 62,000 or 60. So that's where my error was. So I'm actually more than that million to get to the 4.25. And therefore, it's about 1,025,000 is that number that I'm talking about in my end. Any further discussion? I'll call the question. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Nay. So I guess the effect is to uphold the assessor's assessment. I, I don't think so. I think you we have a no decision right now. Now, you can make a motion. Now, and County attorney's not here, so excuse me for interjecting my understanding of the process. A 2-2 is a, is a no decision. The motion no decision. The motion fails. Yeah. So someone can make another motion, and then we can proceed. Let me ask. It would be a fail, but you can make another motion. It would probably go the same way, just the other way. Is there another motion? I'll make a motion. Um, you know, the um, again, the original valuation was 5.5 mil. Uh, the appraisers, the assessors, um, reduces it to 4.85. Um, you know, I think there's always some leeway in there. I, I would make a motion uh, at the uh, for the assessed value of 4.5 million. Is there a second? I'll second that motion. Any further discussion? All in favor? I think Mike, I, I'll just say for further discussion, I think it's hard to come to an exact number and I think it's getting a feel where we feel comfortable to make a decision as a board, as a group. Um, there is a, you know, an, an additional appeal process for the applicant beyond this, this, uh, this board. So with that said, yeah, you can, um, you can appeal to the VA or 
So the uh, you might have seen yes. I'm hoping that this motion gets um, turned down, and then I will make a motion to split that difference, George. So where we are would be in between what I and you originally offered. I think now, and my number is correct. But I was at four two five. You're at four five. Correct. Right. That was your motion. So. So the, the I call the question. The motion is for four point five million dollars. All in favor? Aye. Aye. So the motion passes with evaluation of four point. And I'd like to register my vote if you'd call the question. Um, opposed. Opposed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Thank you. Uh, thank you. 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 Schedule time for the state here at value to the You'll get a notice from the board which spells out, you know, if you choose to appeal further, um, you have the right to do that. Or if the 4.5 is acceptable.
Welcome back. This is the Board of County Commissioners work session for November 27, 2012. It's about 3.25 and we're just now getting to our memorandums of interest. The first memorandum is a request from the Susan G. Komen uh, uh, Foundation of Aspen for a refund of their um, special events or events Permitting. Uh, Michael, are you here uh, to answer questions about that, or I can present, or I can answer answer questions. However, you feel. It seems to be pretty straightforward. So, board. Um, yes, Jack. A question, uh, Michael. In there, in the letter by Logan Hood, indicates what the special permit was for, but it did include liquor, a liquor license. So, is there a way to back out? some kind of allocation for that and still refund some money? I mean, because a, a permit is all inclusive, I guess, in this case, because it had alcohol. Well, I just became aware of the number um, and what Logan was specifically asking for, but um, there is an avenue for the board to reimburse uh, special event permit fees. Now, the special event permit fee that Logan is talking about in her letter, if broken out, would be the $624 ComDev special event permit fee. And Phyllis just showed me the letter and it said that there was a liquor permit fee and a variable board message sign permit fee, tent permit fee, fire inspection fee. Um, those fees are not associated with the ComDev special event fee. The only, that fee specific to ComDev is $624. So board, um, any further questions? Uh, 649, right? Uh, well, at least what I I should clarify here. 624 is our is Comdes flat planning fee, and then there's a $25 clerk tech fee that gets applied to every application. So yeah, 649 is the is the total. Well, well, I would be supportive of uh, refunding the 649 R fees. Board. Just a question, how have we done this historically? Is this out of our discretionary fund that we, we do it? So it's not out of ComDev. ComDev doesn't know. Okay. Definitely out of our discretionary fund. I, mean, I support George's. Uh, you support it? Well, Scott, I support it. So um, the board supports the refund of $649 representing the um, community development fees to the special events permit. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I guess Phyllis will send them a letter or mm -hmm. send them a letter and a check, I guess. Okay. Uh, the next item is the 2013 holidays schedule, and Stephen uh, Pingree is here instead of Vanessa Logan. So, why is that? She is ill. Okay. So, send her our Christmas. Will do. So what is the holiday schedule for 2013? Um, the holiday schedule is in the packet, um, so it's pretty typical. Uh, last year we added um, the Veterans Day and part of all that, and we had that discussion, I believe, last year. And uh, last year, or this year was the first year that Veterans Day. Um, so everything remains the same as in previous years. And so this is the holiday schedule for, two, uh, for 2013. New Year's Day, Martin Luther King, President's Day, Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, um, and Christmas Day, and then Christmas Eve Day. And so 
which is pretty typical. There was one area of discussion, and that was um, for July the 4th and Independence Day, and that falls on a Thursday, and the question was, should we be closed on Friday? Uh, and this would be closed to the public on Friday. We did a census of a number of municipalities and counties, and out of uh, the many of them, I think out of 16 respondents, two counties and one township are recognizing July 5th, and so they're closing their offices on July 5th. That is not recommended um, here, um, just to be, just to have access to the county for July 5th for the public. Board, any questions for, for Stephen? Yes, George so and then Jack. Stephen, we close this year the day after Thanksgiving? Yes. We were, yes. the offices were closed? Yes, the offices were closed. Now there are certain offices um, where individuals can work. Um, so, so the offices to the public were closed, but, if it, but we allow flexibility um, in most of our offices. There, there are certain obvious offices <laughs> or departments that are open road and bridge, sheriff's office communication. Um, but we allow flexibility with the section leader on some of, of those holidays if employees want to come in and work on their own accord and not use um, their leave time for that day. So because the way um, we, uh, the employees, the way they accrue vacation days is, is not necessarily Per holiday, so so these days, these holidays, it's more of a case where we're telling the public that our offices will be closed. More, more or less. Um, in some of the departments, the clerk and recorder, um, treasurer, assessor, landfill, library, basically a lot of those employees, um, line staff, that's what they do. Library is, you know, they, they need to be there when it's open. So when it's closed. They probably don't have work that they can catch up and, and do. So a lot of those employees will be off, um, but but that's at the discretion of the particular section leader. Um, we haven't found any uh, too many issues with that um, from employees or supervisors in the past. Okay, thank you, Jack. Yes, Stephen. It's kind of wonder about the operation of uh, the calendar. Because it's really inconsistent from eight to eleven days. And for example, mm -hmm. last year we added an extra day, meaning mm -hmm. Veterans Day, and that last year, 2011, was still only eight days. This year, it looks like was last year the first year in eleven, or was it this year was the first year for Veterans Day? This year oh, was the first okay. year for Veterans Day. Good. So that's why it, you know. It would have been 10 without, so it's 11. And so, what? Yeah, so we propose to have uh, 10 days off and two early closing. Is that what this is? That, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, I could remember how that bet, which year it came on. So I've answered my question essentially by getting that clarification. Okay, thank you for answering your And I support this. Uh, any further questions? Are we in support of this? Not ahead? Yes? Thank you, Steve. Okay, thank you.
Uh, the next item is a request from the uh, Veterans uh, History Project uh, for $2,000. Um, were they informed that they were going to have this in front of the board this time? We just have a letter we don't have to write. Yeah, I don't know that they were informed. Um, sorry. Board, any discussion on this matter? Jack? Um, Phyllis, what is our balance you have? That's what I was just going to email Susan. She gave it to me and it's sitting at my desk. Excuse me? Sorry. Um, I'm going to email Susan right now. She gave it to me and I left it at my desk. Uh, George, you have a question? Oh, the same question. I believe and it then it would be less 649. The money was there for both of this. Just so you know, um, they had asked for $500 in 2011, and that's what was provided then. So they're increasing their request. Let me see if I can't get And then last year, we also, at the end of the year, allocated extra money, I believe, for the food pantry, the homeless shelter, and this, that, this historical, uh, you know, veterans history project. So they got over and above more than 500 last year, because Michael had brought that up in our year-end discussion of discretionary monies. So I guess just one part of the discussion with this would be to figure out how much we have year-end, what we did with our tally, because we kind of zeroed out the balance last year. and figure out how this fits into what we did at year-end last year. Um, well, I think what Jack is saying is that we gave a base of 500 and then reevaluated uh, further donations at the end of the town. I, I guess is that right? I still remember numbers. I guess information-wise, I'm, I'm not just looking for what we have left in, our, in, our, yeah. in the fund right now. I'm mm -hmm. looking for how much money was was tallied out on December 31st, which is what we did on the last meeting of the last year. We kind of, I think, I think we tallied out four or five thousand dollars. I think there was a lot left. Um, we did a, a donation to the housing development that had a fire, um, and that was close towards the end, but it wasn't all the way at the end. And, and then we we allocated, I think. Three or four thousand dollars at the very end, but I'm not sure who and how much. So, so are you are you suggesting something, Rob? Are you suggesting that we? I'm trying to get that information. I'm trying to get exactly how we split up at the end of the year last year. Not only what we have left right now, but exactly how we split everything up at the end of the year. What was the remaining balance allocated to when we made that decision? Phyllis, do you have that answer? I have the first. Uh, Questions to answer, which is we currently have $4,351. Let me go see if I can find the file that gives me the rest. That's before the 640? Correct. Well. Before the 649. So we have 3,700. So um, do we want to wait on this? So, would you consider going to future agendas while maybe Phyllis? Uh, Okay. Is that, is that our last request under MOI? Yes. 
so future agendas. Um, I do have one item for future agendas. Um, when I look through um, on December 4th, next week, we are scheduled to be back in Plaza One. But right now, it seems that there will be a recount um, for the DA election. And so we have reserved this room again for um, next week. So that is the only change that I'm aware of at this point. Um, so we can probably count on being back in this room. That's what you're saying. Um, right now, um, I guess Martin Beeson is making the decision as to the cost of that recount. There isn't, we don't know for sure. We are all anticipating that he will request that recount. Okay. Any other future uh, agenda items? Yes, Phyllis, based on our discussion this morning at exec session, we may want to have plug in an exec session for Tuesday. December 4th? Yes. yes. Okay. And I, uh, Michael Vaya, on that point. Yeah, and I, when I look at December 4th's meeting agenda, there's a half out half an hour allocated for prep for the meeting for the hospital board. And I can't imagine taking a half hour for that discussion. So I think George has a reasonable uh, point to be made and take into consideration all of that before we establish the time. You know, at least have that discussion with John right. and the chairman. We'll look at that. And that meeting was pending getting somebody coming in too, so. So, I'm just saying John, John, no, no, John Ely needs to make sure that that person can yes. schedule their time yes. to come in that day. We don't need the special exec session if that person for some reason has a scheduling conflict. So I'm just letting Phyllis know to coordinate with John Ely that yeah. that individual is requested his presence at, at the executive session. Will we'll right. be available? Based on them being able to. Correct. John will know Yes, George? And while we're on exec sessions, uh, we have an exec session set for Tuesday, December 11th, that we probably don't need to have if that's the only item on it. Well, we might or might not. Is that exec session? Okay. Which about the program, yeah, so. Any other future agenda items? Seeing none, Phyllis, are we, are we, um, do we have the figures for last year's splitting of the fund? Let me see what she sent me. It looks like. Okay. Oh, she gave me 2012. Let's go back. You want 2011. She didn't send me 2000. Here we go. Let me get that again. Um, okay. She's Just saying the total. She did email that the total of the Veterans History Project got was only the $500, so maybe that was at the end of the year. Let me go find it. No, that's wrong. Okay. Yes, Jack. So I, 
if it's acceptable to everyone, we might just finish this up next Tuesday when yeah. we meet because we'll have the information easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to continue the discussion of the Veterans History Project funding until next Tuesday we can have a more complete record of our last year's discretionary funds. Any further open discussion items at this point? Uh, seeing none, is there a motion to adjourn? Or you can just adjourn. It'd be good to adjourn. <laughs> I think it would be good to adjourn. Uh, Caitlin, we're going to adjourn this meeting. Thank you, Grassroots. <laughs>